It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Hi, Chris. Happy Monday. How are you? What's going on, guys? Hey, just in the middle of a, a very competitive series, Chris. Uh, the Clippers got Game 3, played very well doing it. Give us your thoughts. They did. I thought they ratcheted up the defensive intensity. I thought you know, some of those soft double teams they were throwing at Donovan Mitchell were really effective. I mean, even the shots he was making, especially in that first half, they were tough shots. I mean, they were kind of going the wrong direction, you know, contested three-pointers, kind of shots that you live with if you're the Clippers. And, um, you know, the adjustments that Quinn Snyder, that the Jazz make going into uh, this game four are uh, probably going to decide the, the game and maybe even a series. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to unpack with this. You know, Mike Conley's injury certainly still looms large. Mitchell, how he bounces back after the ankle tweak, you know, that looms large. But I'm very interested to see if, you know, what adjustments Quinn Snyder makes to try to, you know, deal with those double teams and to, you know, get Rudy Gobert going as well. I mean, they, that small lineup has proven to be problematic uh, for, for Utah at times in the series, especially in game three. I like the way you frame that, Chris, because uh, every, that's the thing about these playoff series is every game seems like a game completely unto itself. And you never know what you're going to see next. I mean, yeah, the, the Clippers make some adjustments, and then the Jazz make an adjustment, and the Clippers make adjustment. And, you know, I, I thought on Saturday we were watching uh, some sort of uh, blitzing defense, uh, everybody heading, running at Donovan Mitchell. And so somebody else on, on that attack has to hit some open shots, and they seem to struggle to do so. Yeah, they've got to find the right spacing. They've got to get guys in the right places. I mean, there's just a lot of adjustments that I think Quinn Snyder can and will attempt to make. But look, this is why, you know, coaching matters. I think Ty Lue has had an excellent postseason overall. I mean, his adjustments in game three of that Dallas series and throughout were uh, certainly difference-making for uh, for the Clippers. And his adjustments in game three in this series uh, were difference-making and certainly, you know, put the Clippers on the – the path to success that that they went on in that game. So I'm, it's a chess match between two really good coaches in Ty Lue uh, and Quinn Snyder. I mean, again, obviously there's there's more to it. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm again the, the we know Conley's out, we get that, but I'm I'm just you know when Donovan Mitchell said that landing is a problem for him, that that kind of raised an alarm bell in my mind. That you know is he is he going to be uh, you know, hesitant to attack the rim? He's going to be hesitant to kind of go all out at the basket. I mean, I, I'm, again, it's another thing I'm interested to see, like how aggressive is he at going to the rim in this game four, knowing that that, that ankle uh, retweaked at the end of game three. And it really matters, Chris, because tonight's important. There's a big difference uh, between coming back tied 2-2 and up 3-1. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I still think even if they lose, they're in a good position. Um, you cross your fingers and hope that Conley's back at some point. But... Um, you know, going back home with two out of the next three is, is a good position to be in. But you know, they've got a chance to, to prove that that game three was just an aberration. Uh, and the Clippers, look, they're not invulnerable here. I mean, they, yeah, they're as likely to not show up as they are to show up. I mean, Paul George played out of his mind in that game three. He's had some clunkers in this postseason. I mean, that being said, Kawhi can certainly get have played better in this game four. So I, I just did, 
you have two really good teams, the kind of stuff you, you kind of look for in a good postseason series. And you know, maybe it is the adjustments that one coach makes that, that makes all the difference. Chris, you mentioned Conley a couple times. What is it that he brings that you think, other than just being a really good player, is there something specific uh, that he brings to the table that would cause the Clippers trouble? Well, I mean, shot making is first and foremost. I mean, if you talk about the if you talk about the double teams that Mitchell is facing, I mean, having another guy that can knock down an open three point shot is invaluable. As it stands, you're kind of plugging Royce O'Neal in there. Jordan Clarkson's getting extra minutes. And these are good players, but Mike Conley, frankly, is better. And you know, having that part of his game is valuable. In addition, you know, taking some of that playmaking responsibility off of Mitchell is is key as well. Conley is is a high level guy, you know, at doing that. So. There's just layers to, to what, what he's able to bring that the Jazz just don't have with him out of the lineup. So the hope is has got to be that he's back sooner rather than later. But I get it with these hamstring injuries. I mean, they're, you know, you, you, you've seen in the playoffs, like with, John, with James Harden. Like if you, um, you know, if you don't take your time with these hamstring injuries, Anthony Davis is another example. You know, if guys come rushing back, they can aggravate it even further and you know, potentially shut them down for even longer. So I, I understand the Jazz, you know, slow playing this, but – you know, if they go down in this game four, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Mike Conley to be back for game five. You surprised Denver no-showed in that series? Or is Phoenix simply that good, I guess? I think Phoenix is that good. I mean, you know, my, my takeaway from Nuggets Suns is that Portland really stinks. Like, I mean, to, to get beat by that Nuggets team. I mean, that's – I mean, like, you, you can't you can't go up against Chris Paul and Devin Booker with a midseason acquisition in Austin Rivers and a 30-year-old rookie in Campazzo. Like, I mean, that's – that's just insane. And, you know, uh, Jokic was okay, not great. I thought DeAndre Ayton did a pretty good job on him in that series. But, you know, Aaron Gordon's not a number two guy. Uh, it's very clear Michael Porter Jr. was injured with that back, and he's kind of not not close to being what he, he usually was. So, no, I, I wasn't surprised at all that they were able to go through. I mean, think about it. Like, you know, without Jokic out there, I mean, that team basically becomes the Orlando Magic. Like, it's just – it is not a very good team. Um you know, without him out there on the floor and, you know, without him dominating, it's just tough for them to stay in. And Phoenix is just, Phoenix is excellent. They're deep, they're talented, they, you know, they're athletic. I mean, Chris Paul is playing some of the best basketball I've seen him play in his entire career, not just in the last few years, but in his entire career, he's playing great. And I think in the mind of Chris Paul, this is his opportunity. Like all those years where he came up short, you know, not getting to the conference finals with the Clippers, the one trip with the, with the Rockets that was cut short by the hamstring injury, I think he sees an opening here to to kind of redeem all that, and and uh, you know he's got the team around him to do it. What do you think of uh, of Jokic getting chucked out of that game yesterday? He, he deserved it. I mean, you, you, like the, the end result wasn't a significant injury to Cameron Payne, but it could have been, and that that's just that's a no, that's a that's one of the few easy calls for NBA referees. If you wind up and take a swing like that, even if you are nominally aiming for the ball. I mean, that's that's an intentional maneuver. It was a frustration foul, of course, but, um, you know, the wind-up like that, it just it, – you're going to get tossed every single time, even if you're the MVP uh, of the league. And Jokic has got to know better in, in that type of situation. So, I didn't have a problem. I know some people saying, oh, it barely touched him and grazed his nose. It's not really the point. Like, he, the point was he wound up and, and took a swing, and, you know, it's not like he intentionally only grazed his nose. He kind of got lucky – that he only grazed his nose. Um, so I think that the, the the intention of the act was enough to get him tossed out of the game. 
You know, Chris, playoff series are funny. Uh, it wasn't that long ago when guys like Gordon and myself were burying the Bucks, and then all of a sudden uh-huh. they get a uh, you know hard fought win in Game Three, and some injuries happen, and uh, it's it's a completely different series now. I mean, if if Milwaukee winds up winning the series and maybe winning a championship, because I put them among the favorites if they get through this series, like they'll look back at this one and. I mean, it, 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 what the series could have been and what it's looking like it might be are just, you know, two completely different things. I mean, if James Harden was healthy, you know, they might have gotten swept. Like, they didn't look good at all in the first couple of games. And even game three, I thought it was more the Nets missing shots than the Bucks hitting them uh, that, that led to that result. And now they're in a position where if Kyrie and Harden are both out for game five, they could win that game and then go on and win the series and, and maybe win a championship and sort of redefine who they are. I mean – if they had gone out early, you would have been talking about Mike Budenholzer being fired. There might have been changes in the front office. I mean, there would have been a lot, of, a lot of happening in Milwaukee. Now they're they're in a great position to win the whole damn thing. And yeah, I mean, look, it just it just reminds me that oftentimes circumstance has a lot to do with uh, with how championships are won. You know, the Rockets won two in the 1990s because Jordan wasn't playing. The Jazz didn't win uh, championships in the 90s because Jordan was playing. Same thing with the Knicks and. You know, the Trailblazers didn't win the early 2000s. They had a championship team, and neither the Kings, because the Lakers were so dominant. I mean, things are just like, it's all about one injury and a set of circumstances that can change the fate of, of a franchise. And I think in, in a month or so from now, if the Bucks win this whole thing, which I, I think they can, um, you know, this, looking back at the series, will be a very interesting thing to do. Chris, so, yeah, maybe you answered my question there, but of all the teams you've seen, uh, who's impressing you as, as the best team right now? I mean, it's hard to, to knock Phoenix with, with what they did. I mean, I know Denver's banged up, but, you know, to come back and beat the Lakers, even if there was a hobbled Lakers team and a hobbled Nuggets team, you know, they're just complete, and they're not showing kind of the hallmarks that we've seen over years years past of young players struggling in big moments. Devin Booker has been great. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, who I mentioned, has been great. at like 14-10 and 10 against Jokic. That's really good and has been a linchpin to what they do uh, defensively. Bridges has been great out there for Phoenix. These are guys in their first tour of duty, largely in the postseason, and they're they're acting like, you know, they've been here three or four times before. Now, does that continue against a better team? Uh, either Utah or the Clippers will be a much better team than the banged-up Lakers and Nuggets that the Suns faced. I don't know. But right now you got to give Chris Paul and that Suns team, you know, the benefit of the doubt that they're just really damn good and uh, they deserve to be considered the top team in the league. Chris Mannix, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, with us <clears throat> here on the Big Show. Chris, how triggered are the analytics nerds with what Chris Paul is doing from the mid range right now? I mean, it's, some of these shots are still not great shots, but it's you know it, he's he's found his spot on the floor, and against Denver anyway, he was able to get to it every single time. I mean, part of that's a function of Michael Porter just having no lateral movement. Like you know, you watch they were running screens into him like for three consecutive games towards the very end. I mean, everything was directed at Michael Porter Jr. And Chris Paul feasted on that particular matchup. But look, he's a throwback player. You know, 36 years old, career dates back to 03. Um, you know, he's, uh, he, he does what he does, and he does it at a really high level, in the same way that Kobe did it from that spot at a really high level. He still makes threes. I mean, they still, he'll give you a couple per game, but he's really comfortable at, you know, that dribble drive across the lane and, and pull up kind of fading away to his shooting hand. And until somebody stops him, I mean, he'll take that automatic two points over, you know, the layup or the dunk or the three-pointer that analytics guys want you to shoot. So it's, you know, it's 
it's, it's his game. He's going to stick with it. How do you evaluate Chris Paul's career uh, now that he's – well, I don't know when he's going to be done. Like you said, he's playing so well right now. Is he one of the all-time great point guards? Yeah, he's up there. I mean, I don't – I mean, it seems like this is the year where everybody's, you know, using definitive terms as – you know, Mike Malone said Chris Paul could be the best. I remember Scott Brooks said Russell Westbrook was number two. I mean, everybody seems to be kind of throwing around you know, lofty praise at that position. What what I think is going to be a feather in the cap of Chris Paul when his career is said and done, which, by the way, it's not close. I mean, he's got that $44 million player option for next year. My guess is that he picks it up and Phoenix extends him for two more years after that. So he could be around 40 by the time his career is over. Um, but I think the real feather in his cap is going to be how he's played the last couple of years. I mean, you know, Chris Paul took and probably earned some of the criticism that happened in L.A. with the Clippers when Lob City didn't work out. Uh, he took and deserved some of the criticism of that Houston team kind of falling apart in his last year there. Uh, but he goes to Oklahoma City, a team that had just lost two stars and gets them to the number six seed in the playoffs with a bunch of young guys around him. Then he goes to Phoenix, and there's no doubt the Suns were on the upswing. But you know, to take them to where they are this season is a lot of a lot of to do with Chris Paul and, and what he's done with that team. So I, I think that you know he put up better numbers early in his career, but what he's done team-wise these last couple of years and what he projects to do because I think he's going to be productive over the next couple of years. I mean, after the injury that he had in that conference finals for Houston, he kind of remade his body there, kind of went that Tom Brady route and sort of focused on plyometrics and stretching and things like that. And he's been largely healthy, 70 games apiece in the last two seasons, uh, in, you know, shortened seasons. So I, I think he's going to play, he's going to be durable in the final stage of his career. And, you know, the, the accomplishments he's making team-wise, I think will, will overshadow anything he did individually early in his career. So there was a report today about a possible rule change the NBA is going to consider, making it more difficult for players. And uh, uh, Woj, when he when he tweeted this out, used the example of James Harden or Trey Young from leaning in to create contact on the shot. Uh, what do you think about those possible rules changes? Necessary? No, they're very necessary. And I've had this conversation with Monty McCutcheon, the league office, with various league officials, and, and this has been coming for a while now. I, I think they should take it even further. I mean, if it's not a natural shooting motion, you know, you, sh- you at the very least shouldn't get to the free throw line. Like, I get a little tired of seeing guys pump fake beyond the three-point line and then just jump into guys. Like, if, if you get fouled during a natural shooting motion, okay, you get your three free throws. But I don't think a guy should be rewarded for three free throws if he is just jumping into the moving body of another player because he knows by the letter of the law that that is going to get him uh, to the line. I, I think there's got to be clarification there. I mean, I think, look, they're fouls. I mean, James Harden gets fouled. Trey Young gets fouled. But there certainly should be some uh, some oversight there to give referees discretion, like they do with that swing move that they, they changed a couple of years ago to get to the free throw, to not get to the free throw line. So I, I like that as a first step for the NBA. I just think they should take it even further and make kind of any jumping into guys not a automatic free throw situation. I couldn't agree with you more on that, Chris. And like Jake said, we've talked about it a lot because, you know, first of all, I just don't like deception. It's one thing to be crafty; it's another to to to, 
to take advantage of a situation. I mean, you could have a defender sitting there minding his own business, and all of a sudden a player jumps in the direction toward him, and there there goes the whistle. You know, it, it's it's like flopping to me. I don't like it. Well, you can also, you know, I, I don't think they'll take it this far, but again, I think they should. Um, you know, if a guy is, you know, jumping sideways into a player, that should be an offensive foul. I know they're they're doing that now with that kick move, which I think is again a step in the right direction. But I'd like to see them, you know, kind of try to find ways to legislate all this stuff up. If you call enough offensive fouls on players for doing some of that crap, um, you will get them to eventually stop it. Uh, I just think right now there's there's too much uh, reason to jump into guys and, and kick your legs out, do all sorts of goofy non-basketball things because referees have shown they'll send you to the free throw line. I'd like to see them, the NBA take this as far as they possibly can to get that kind of play out of the game. Last thing for me, Chris, and of course you are a bit of a, a renaissance man. You do a great job covering the NBA, but you cover boxing as well, and it's not often that those two sports overlap. So with that in mind, what do you think about uh, Lamar Odom as a boxer? Uh, he should never do that again. And Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Carter, right? Aaron Carter should never do that again either. Like That was pretty sad to see. I mean, that... I I didn't watch it on pay per view because I mean Why I'd rather you? light my money on fire, <laughs> but like there's that just didn't that was just goofy from start to finish. I mean Lamar Odom, I mean first of all, if anybody's familiar with the Kramer and Seinfeld episode when he's at the karate gym where he's just like he's like so much bigger than Aaron Carter could have just strangled him much less boxed him. Um, yeah, that's number one. Number two, there's no boxing skill in either one of them and, you know they were doing it to try to cash a check maybe they did i can't imagine too many people bought that on pay-per-view since i barely heard about it until a couple of like social media posts i saw on fight night uh so i, I just i celebrity boxing is not going anywhere you know there's always these influencers that can put together high profile fights but i don't need to see a athletically faded lamar odom and i don't know what aaron carter is these days he looks nuts I don't need to see those two guys ever involved in a boxing match ever again. That was fairly embarrassing for both. I think desperate is the word you were looking for there. I think Aaron Carter is desperate. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, I don't, his brother was the, his brother was the backstreet player, right? Like right. That's, I, I don't right. know. Like he's, I don't, I don't know. Like he's, that, that kind of stuff. I mean, I can't imagine people pay for it. Like, does Aaron Carter have a real fan base that, you know, they're like Logan Paul has a fan base. Like he's in a carefully cultivated one. I got that. But Aaron Carter, does he have this, you know, tens of millions of fans willing to pay 50 bucks to watch him get his you know, head punched in by a guy a foot taller than him. Like, I don't – and even Lamar Odom, just the – you know, one of the best – I mean, you guys know, one of the best, like, athlete basketball players of his time. Like, this guy was one of the original point forwards. To see him kind of out there, you know, <laughs> sl- slowly slugging away – at Aaron Carter was uh, was tough to see. I don't know which is it would be worse, watching basketball players box or watching boxers play basketball. No, our basketball players boxing is worse. As someone that can tell you about both, like basketball players is box. Like even like Damian Lillard is one of the great. Like works out all the time as a boxer, but you can see him. It's like that's not that's not like my real thing. Even David West was a big into boxing back in his day, but it's just a it's a level of of. What you are as a basketball player, the explosiveness you have as a basketball player, does not manifest itself into boxing. Whereas boxers, while not being good, you know, can conceivably construct enough basketball skills not to be embarrassing. That's kind of the way I look at it. So, so Chris, if the powers that be came to you and said, we know you, you like to cover both basketball and, and boxing, 
but we want you to do one or the other. We want you to spend the rest of your professional life covering it. Which one would you pick? You know, I, it's a good question. I mean, I, I don't know. Probably boxing. You know, I, I if boxing was better, if, if boxing, if I didn't have to spend as much time covering boxing, writing about why fights don't happen than the ones that do, <laughs> um, I would definitely be boxing because it's it's maddening to you know I spent years covering the Manny Pacquiao Floyd Mayweather failed negotiations and and everything that went into that. Um, but at its best, boxing is is phenomenal. Like these events are. I mean, I was at. You know, AT&T Stadium just last month where Canelo put 73,000 fans in for his fight. I mean, that was a, a wild atmosphere. Um, and so, I, I, you know, at its best, boxing, but unfortunately, boxing is very rarely at its best. It's usually more low-level, one-sided fights or Lamar Odom and Darren Carter. I had a friend, Chris, who covered boxing in Los Angeles when I was down there, and mm. he said the stories – in boxing are just phenomenal have always well, been that's that because yeah. that, that's because no like nobody for, from childhood like is like i want to be a professional boxer like they just don't they're kind of either forced into it because of, of poverty or they do it because they don't have the size to do anything else i mean look floyd mayweather is one of the great fighters of this generation maybe the greatest of this generation what else could floyd mayweather do athletically besides box like you know he he's five foot seven and I be like a jockey. I, I don't know. Like he's not going to play, you know, football. He's probably not going to play, you know, definitely playing basketball or baseball, even something like that. So like this, just kind of like how they they come from these really tough backgrounds, and this is like a means to survival. Um, it, it makes these stories incredible. Like they all have these these real deep, deep, rich stories. And beyond that, they don't have teammates to protect. They're shameless self promoters. So they're going to say anything. Like they're going to tell you the. The absolute truth every time out. Whereas when I mean, you guys know enough, like covering this and talking to guys, that you know, I'd say probably seventy-five percent of the time, you're not getting the complete truth from someone you're talking to about a particular subject. They've either got teammates to protect or, or, or some for some other reason. So that's what I like about boxers. You more often than not are going to get something completely unvarnished. So one last thing from me, and it's this: Do you have a favorite story that you've written? What, I mean, is there one that stands out in your mind as being something that uh, that you like the best? Uh, you know, it's got me thinking about, you know, doing, experiencing boxing. And back in, like, I think 10 years ago, I convinced Juan Manuel Marquez, the 135-pound champion, to fly to New York to fight me. <laughs> um, that did not go well for me at all. Uh, it was like a three-round beating at this Church Street boxing in this famous boxing gym in New York. And I'll never forget, like, he walked through those doors. He had his trainer, his cut man, his publicist, and his promoter with him, which none of whom he needed with him to, to kick the crap out of me. Meanwhile, there were about 25 guys from Boston who had driven, driven up from, from the city to come to New York to, you know, basically watch me get my backside kicked in. Like, they, they were openly cheering for Marquez to knock me out, like, <laughs> like rooting for him while they're, you know, 15 beers deep in the middle of the afternoon. So that's probably the most memorable. I got to write about that and had the whole experience start to finish training. And, uh, and and somewhere on the Internet there's a video. I don't know where that video is. It's been so long that it might have just disappeared. But somewhere there's a video, and it's it's not pretty to watch me at that point, 6'3", a buck 80 probably, and Marquez, you know, 5'5", five, five, a buck 30, uh, just beat the daylights out of me. We gotta find that video, yeah, Jake. It's somewhere. I encourage your listeners to see if they can dig it up. It's it's out there. Uh and it was uh it was it was it was bad. Let's just say that. Well, Chris, thank you very much as always. We appreciate you. You got it, guys.
Chris Mannix, our friend, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. I want to see you get in a ring with somebody. Oh, I'm telling you what, it's my life's goal now to get famous enough that I can make money off people tuning in to watch <laughs> me get beat up. Do I have enough of a following that they'll tune in to watch me get punched in the face? Because that's apparently that's what Aaron Carter is, right? I mean, he's just he's just famous enough that people were like, yeah, I'd like to see that guy get beat up. Sure, oh, how, I'll watch that. How much would you have to be paid to get beat up? How badly beat up? TKO. Not a KO, like a TKO. Get, like beat up in the boxing ring? Yeah. Or, or, or and he like, had the headgear, the spar gear. Yeah. Or uh, like, you know, roughed up by like a group of people. You know what I mean? No, like, no, no, no. Like, no. Just, I, like I, jumped I, in the park? Yeah. No, no, I'm saying it this way. You're going to be... You're going to be knocked out, but I mean, you're not. You're going to suffer a knockout, but not knocked unconscious. Oh, like, like fifty bucks. <laughs> Get out of here! No <laughs> what? A good hot dinner? Yeah, right. Well, Austin will pay you fifty bucks if he could just you know, punch the clown in the nose. If he's got gloves on and uh, <laughs> wants to make it so I've got a soft landing, then yeah, to knock yourself right out. I'll take that fifty. Yeah, no, man. knock you out. We're getting pizza tonight, family. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll have more coming up next. Stay tuned. It's the Big Show, ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The Zone.